Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more, and thank you so much for joining us today. We'd like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, who are you know keeping our environment safer. To learn more about Clorox Healthcare, please visit their website at cloroxhealthcare.com forward slash C. diff radio. At this time, I'd like to introduce our special guest, Dr. Sabine Hazen. And Dr. Sabine Hazen is here to discuss sequencing the gut flora before C. diff therapy. And at this time, I welcome Dr. Hazen to the program. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Hazen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And we know that you're so busy and we thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join us. And Dr. Hazen, if you wouldn't mind taking a moment and just introducing yourself to our audience. Uh, I'm a gastroenterologist by trade. I graduated from uh, University of Florida uh, in fellowship. And uh, back then, I started doing um, clinical research in my first year of uh, gastroenterology. And then um, did had a busy practice, have had a busy practice for the last 20-plus years. I'm not going to say more because, you know, it's making me feel old. And... Um, over the years, my, you know, I went from 90% being a gastroenterologist and 10% doing research to now doing almost 90% research and 10%, 10% conventional GI. And I think, you know, at some point, colonoscopy after colonoscopy really wasn't filling my scientific mind. And so that's probably why I went more towards the research mind and became more of a scientist than a gastroenterologist, um, and over the years, I've helped uh, pharmaceutical companies with products that were good for certain diseases, and um, I guess when the fecal material became a pill and fecal transplant became a pill, I became a scientist full-time to try to understand what do we see when we do fecal transplant uh, in patients with C. diff, what are we changing exactly, and so the whole push for me to open my genetic sequencing laboratory. I gathered a bunch of doctors that were also wanting to understand the mechanism of fecal transplant, and uh, we kind of uh, started um, doing clinical trials on the microbiome, and here we are. Well, thank you so much. for findings, lots of interesting data. We opened about a year ago, and uh, a year and a half, a year and three months, and we have 33 clinical trials going on on every disease, looking at the microbiome in every disease. Also, we do um, analysis before and after transplant to see what's changing um, in that patient because sometimes it's not just C. diff that's changing. It's other things that are changing. Everything in the gut flora is a balance. It's all about bacteria, you know, that are overgrown or undergrown or, you know, good bugs, bad bugs. It's all about that balance. And and I think that's the most important message um, that people need to understand and, and why my path is so important to look at the microbiome in all these diseases because it's all about bacteria. 
Exactly. And we're so grateful that you went into research, Dr. Hazen, and, and all that you've accomplished through the years. Um, and Dr. Hazen, can you share with us um, where you're from? So I'm, uh, I was born in uh, Morocco, and uh, my parents were working for the French government there. And um, we, they moved from Morocco to uh, Montreal, and then from Montreal, I went to University of Florida. I went to uh, medical school in, in Canada, and then I did my residency at University of Miami and my fellowship at University of Florida. And it was at University of Florida during my first year of research that I met, uh, well, it was actually in Miami. Uh, I was a resident, and Dr. Neil Stolman was a fellow, uh, and he was the GI fellow uh, in Miami. Um, we became friends, and he was doing research on multiple things at the time, a part of his fellowship as well. And when I became a fellow in GI at University of Florida, I was presenting at a lot of meetings, and he came around one of my posters one year and took me around and said, Sabine, the future is in SH.T. And I said, Neil, if you make me play with poop, I'm not going to like you. And here we are now, you know, 20 plus years later, I'm deep analyzing it. I'm <laughs> deep doing it. But, there was, but he, had a, he was following, obviously, the field uh, that was pioneered by Dr. Thomas Barodi in Australia. And, um, you know, he would show me the data and the posters, and he would say, look at this, fecal transplant helped C. diff back then, like 20-plus years ago. And, um, and lo and behold, when patients started, so I went a different route than he did. He went the academic route, and I went the clinical trial route. So I was doing clinical trials on C. diff, and when clinical trials didn't work for my patients, I felt bad that they trusted me to be part of a study, and so I offered them fecal transplant as, you know, an option if the trial didn't work. Obviously, clinical trial, it's easy. You follow a protocol, you give them the product that is in a clinical trial, and if it works, great for that patient. If it doesn't work, you still have to treat the patient. So rather than keeping them on vancomycin the rest of their lives, I basically um, decided that I should do fecal transplant on these patients, and I did. And, you know, it's amazing the first time you do fecal transplant and it works on C. diff, and you're just, you ask yourself, what happened? How did it work? What What's going on? Anyway, that's for me because I'm always the girl that's, why is this? I'm always questioning everything. Why is this good for me? Why is a tomato good for me? Maybe a tomato is not good for me. So I'm always like questioning everything, and I always ask people, show me the data, show me the article where it's written, show me the study that shows that, you know, people that were eating tomatoes did better than people that didn't eat tomatoes. So that's my, you know, um, my nature. A girlfriend of mine uh, said to me during uh, one of the hurricanes, because of course my mind goes, I don't understand how, you know, in this day and age, we haven't figured out a tool that tries to understand where hurricanes come from. And my girlfriend said, of course, only you ask why. And, you know, that's, so that's my nature. So same thing with C. diff and everything. When the first fecal transplant occurred and I saw a cure, and, and by cure I mean the patient didn't have diarrhea anymore, was doing great, and then I kept following this patient over the years 
on antibiotics, he was given other antibiotics, and still no C. diff. That's when, you know, I was amazed. And over the years of doing fecal transplant, um, I realized there's other things that I improved. And we started seeing the data from other doctors that started writing it. You have to realize when you write these publications and you're saying, you know, a patient improved with fecal transplant and grew hair, it's going to be criticized because nobody's going to be, nobody's going to show that data. So I'll give you an example. I had an, um, an abstract that I submitted or a, a paper that I submitted to five journals, and it's a case that I did fecal transplant on in a patient whose mini mental status was 20. He couldn't remember his daughter's date of birth. He was Alzheimer's for years, was seen by a neurologist for years, and I reported this as a case report because I did fecal transplant when he developed C. diff, and I used his wife as a donor, and lo and behold, three months later, he comes and follows up with me, and he's remembering things, and his wife tells me, you know, doctor, he's remembering his his daughter's birthday, and he's remembering all these things. So, of course, I had done clinical trials on Alzheimer's, so I had access to a mini mental status, which most GI doctors don't have access to, and I started doing it, and I, I noticed that he went from a 20 to 26, and then six months later went from 26 to 29 to the point that he's writing a full sentence, he's writing the graph that we give people. And so I reported it in multiple journals and it got rejected because it's new evidence, right? So anything that's new is going to have a tough time being accepted by the peers because there's multiple criticisms which says, well, what do you mean a patient improved? So obviously, this is a one case. It's not, we don't know what happened. And again, the reason for opening my genetic sequencing lab to understand, well, what did happen in this patient that changed the flora that actually allowed him to remember something? And by the way, this guy had a mini mental status done by his neurologist also, who was blinded to the fact that he was given anything. So the neurologist was also shocked that this patient started remembering things. So, and of course, you know, you see the gut access, uh, the gut-brain access has a huge uh, media coverage now. Uh, everybody's talking about it. But when you see it on a clinical basis and, and the patient came for C. diff treatment, and not only did his C. diff improve and he cured his C. diff, but his mental status improved to the point that he remembered his daughter's something changed. Now, you know, this is one case. Something changed in the 100 trillion bugs in the gut. So we need to understand why. So that's why the importance of analyzing the gut flora before and after and having pathologists and and doctors look at the genetics uh, of the gut flora before and after. So I actually... Um, hired a scientist in my lab when I opened the lab. We are a CAP and CLIA certified because we do pathology analysis here in the lab. Um, and I hired a genetic sequencing, uh, Dr. Papuzzi, who was basically behind the BRCA1 and developed a bunch of assays for Quest and LabCorp. So I figured this guy is the best of the best. He's going to validate an assay for me, and I can trust him with the data. 
And in fact, what we're seeing is when we do change a disease, we see what changed in the disease, which gives me the validity of what's going on and which makes me understand what's going on. Okay, that's incredible information, Dr. Hazine. And before we go to break, can you just briefly touch on how this journey um, taught you, what it taught you about medicine and people? Well, I'm a people person because I always believe, you know, whatever you put into the world, you, you know, you want goodness to be put into the world, right? So if I, you know, I dedicate my life to helping others because I expect at some point, not expect, but I, I wish that others, you know, if my kid is sick, that somebody would help my kid. So I really believe in good karma. I really believe in, you know, goodness above all. And I really believe that if you do things the right way for people, good things come to you. So that's how I've lived my life. I'm very privileged. God has provided me so much with just health to begin with and, you know, uh, kids and a husband and so much has been provided to me that I feel that it's my duty to give back constantly. So I'm a big, um, you know, supporter of humanity. I'm a big supporter of, you know, everybody has goodness in them. Everybody, um, you know, we, we see people, and, and you have to remember, I've treated in Miami from, you know, uh, prisoners to, you know, in Miami at Jackson Memorial Hospitals to celebrities in Malibu. So I've, I've treated all spectrums of life, and I've never really looked at them as this is, you know, this is a criminal or this is a celebrity. I just look at them as human beings because in the eyes of God, everybody's equal. And so I think... You know, most doctors have that ability to go into the field and want to treat everybody the same and, and, and not pass judgments and, and try to help people because everybody's going through a journey. And whatever the journey is, I feel that as a physician, I have to, you know, help the journey. And Sometimes we are so glad. Obviously, because some patients, it, it is difficult to transcend or to get... Um, through the minds of people to understand their disease. But, you know, this is, we all have a journey, and I feel that this is my job as a physician to help out and hold hands and, and try to give hope to people. And I think that's the most important thing. We have to always give hope to patients so that they can, you know, pray and, 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 and get help and, and find help within themselves as well. Absolutely. And Dr. Hazine, thank you so much for all the information and for all that you're doing uh, for everybody. And at this time, we're going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing sequencing the gut flora before C-diff therapy with our guest, Dr. Sabine Hazine. Please stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages. health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness 
To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll free 1 844 4CDIF. That's 1 844 367 2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? washed your hands. Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to C. diff spores and more, and we thank you for joining us today. We have our special guest, Dr. Sabine Hazen, here discussing sequencing uh, the gut flora before C. diff therapy. And we welcome Dr. Hazen back to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Pleasure. And we're so glad you're here. And Dr. Hazen, before the commercial, uh, you were discussing your journey and medicine and the FMTs, and we appreciate all the information that you provided us. And now we're, we'd like to know is how did you get into C. difficile treatment? Uh, I started doing uh, clinical trials at University of Florida, and I was doing a antibiotic trial on um, C. diff at the time. Um, over the years, uh, like I said, I was doing cl- 90% clinical GI as a practicing GI and 10% clinical research. And about 16 years ago, I transitioned from clinical GI to clinical trials with pharmaceutical companies. So I did a bunch of studies um, on C. C diff was uh, always my baby for some reason because, like I said, Neil won the academic world doing fecal transplant, and I went helping pharmaceutical companies to develop products for C. diff. So I did the Zemplava protocol with uh, Merck. I did... uh, you know, uh, the antibiotics protocol, the fecal transplant pill from Sarah's, the fecal transplant pill from Cristovo. So I did a bunch of clinical trials in C. diff, um, and I felt that C. diff is such a hard um, bug to uh, create a uh, PR for. Like, how do you recruit patients in these studies? So in the world of clinical trials, I became the queen of C. diff in a way, because I started the PR of C. diff about 16 years ago. I, uh, the ex, um, one of the big um, 
executives at a music label company uh, became my partner, and we create we started a podcast. And our first bug was C. diff. And it's kind of funny because it's called The Medical View with Dr. Sabine and Mike Etchart. And um, back then, uh, I think it was like 2000-something, um, we started talking about C. diff. And now that I'm like listening, that I listen back to it, first of all, it's, it's always funny listening to me on, on podcast. Uh, but when I listen to it, I realize like so much of that information back then is not even applicable now because things are constantly evolving on C. diff. We're constantly finding all sorts of things about C. diff that we didn't know, you know, like mode of transmission. Maybe it's not transmitted by hand and contact uh, like we thought it was. Maybe it's just transmitted from the fact that we're getting antibiotics. So the bottom line is I started a lot of PR and we used to joke, Mike and I, because we said everybody knows about MRSA, methicillin-resistant staph aureus, but nobody knows about C. diff. And C. diff is becoming a big player in medicine because 40,000 people die from it, 400,000 people are infected. And even people that were not taking on antibiotics, kids were developing C. diff and diarrhea and were showing up at the doctor. So we started a big... um, a big campaign, a big podcast, etc. And <clears throat> so that's basically how I started. Uh, from clinical trials was my big intro. And what it, for those people who don't know what a clinical trial is, it's, um, it's where you um, ask the FDA, you have a, a medication, for example, that you think could help uh, people. So let's say you have a patent uh, pill, which is fabricated from ingredient A, B, C, D, and you think that ingredient A, B, C, D is going to cure a certain disease. So you go to the FDA and the regulatory boards and you say, I want to try this product, A, B, C, D, E, um, on patients with C. diff. The FDA approves it, and then you start what's called a clinical trial. And you, pharmaceutical companies hire doctors to run these clinical trials because they need certified doctors to follow protocols to make sure that these patients are followed properly, that blood work is done, EKG is done. So patients enter into what we call clinical trials uh, for C. diff when they don't have access to fecal transplant or they don't have, or vancomycin has not worked or fidaxomycin has not worked. So they come for the new medication. So always new medications before they go to the pharmaceutical, uh, to the pharmacies um, takes about anywhere from five to 10 to 20 years to develop in a clinical trial. Okay. So. Wow, that I didn't even realize it was that long. And thanks so much, yeah. Dr. Hazine. No problem. So it's it's interesting because it's from the time you think of a product to the time it comes into the market, twenty years will have passed easily. Incredible. And people have no concept of so that's why the advantage of joining a clinical trial because if the drug makes it to the market great, but if you wait for it to, to come to the market, it might take 20 years. Um, and if the drug doesn't make it to the market, but it worked for you, guess what? You were privileged to have been on that protocol. 
because so many drugs don't make it to market because they just don't show efficacy or the clinical trial was not done properly. So, you know, this is uh, what's important about clinical trials, that people don't understand and also don't understand what goes into these trials um, before, like I said, if you think of a product ABCD and you say, I want it to come to market and start a clinical trial, the, the scientist that created the formula has to, first of all, show the FDA why he thinks the formula would work. So he has to do animal testing first, you know, mice, rats, that kind of stuff. And from there, he has to start showing safety on patients. He has to make sure that he raises funds, capital, to do these clinical trials. So there's a whole process from the moment a scientist thinks of a cure to the moment it actually goes into the market. And actually, um, there's, there's four phases, you know, the safety phase, then there's an uh, efficacy phase, and then there's a bigger efficacy phase. Um, and that's what takes the longest. It's recruiting the patients, getting the word out on the trial. It's making sure the drug is safe, making sure everything is done properly and that it works. So, and then once the drug has been shown to be safe and works, the FDA gives it a um, to pass. So. Okay. And Dr. Hazin, wh- at what point do patients receive the real product and not, not the placebo? So there's different trials. So the different concepts of trials, there's different protocols. So some protocols will say it's an open label, meaning everybody gets the real stuff, right? So we tend to see that for trials, you know, that are, you know, let's say the SARS virus, we're in an area right now with the whole coronavirus. So, you know, if patients get it, get the coronavirus, they want to be on a clinical trial that gives them the real stuff. So for these emergency situations, there's going to be a lot of open-label trials. And then there's trials that are basically, you know, placebo on one arm or um, the drug on the other, right, investigative product. So, you know, and it depends how it's drafted. So if the protocol says, well, we're going to have 25% placebo, and 25% is going to get drug at this dosage, and then 25% will get drug at this other dosage, a little bit stronger, and 25 will get this drug at this higher dosage, then what it does is the placebo component allows for, as much as it's obviously, you know, everybody wants to be on the drug, but we do need a placebo component because we need to make sure that the drug is actually working and that it's not the placebo component. Because let me tell you, I've seen a lot of placebos over the years that have done just as well as the drugs. So it's important to have a placebo control, a placebo control trial. And that's why some drugs have that in their protocol to show the FDA, look, the placebo did horrible and the drug was amazing. And okay. why does the placebo work? Versus, you know, there's so much more we don't understand in medicine. You know, there's studies recently that actually show that the power of the mind can control our, our diseases. So maybe the placebo, when you're taking a placebo pill, you're convincing yourself that it's working and it's improving your symptoms because we have cures from within us, right? So 
our ability, our brain, we have not even tapped into that whole world. What is the, you know, the whole world of how does meditation help heal? How does yoga help heal? I mean, there's a lot of people that are just following meditation practices and they're healing, right? So there's so much out there that is not just taking a pill that works, that we need to understand how all these things work. Because I always say the one pill solution doesn't work for everyone. I am not the person to take pills. I'll be upfront. If I have a cold, I'm just going to tough it up because I just don't like taking pills. So, you know, that's my personality. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are just like me. And then there's other people that just like the pills. They like they're getting heartburn, they want to take their Perlosag because they feel better with it. So, you know, different personality. That's why we're all different. We all require different treatments, different therapies, and that's where the relationship between patient-doctor or healer-doctor or healer-patient, naturopath-patient, all that works together to achieve healing. It's not a one solution. So Exactly. And thank you so much, Dr. Hazin, for explaining all of that and sharing the def- and defining what a clinical trial is to our audience. Uh, at this time, we're going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing sequencing the gut flora before C. diff therapy with our special guest, Dr. Sabine Hazin. And thank you for joining us today. We'll be back after these messages. Network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. To help support the C. Diff Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll free 1 844 4 C. Diff. That's 1 844 367 2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Join us on November 12th and 13th for the 8th Annual International C. Diff Conference and Health Expo taking place at the Hilton Boston Logan Airport Hotel in Boston, Massachusetts. To view the conference details and register online, visit the C. Diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call the main office at 727-205-3922. Again, that's cdifffoundation.org or you can give us a call at 727-205-3922. 3922. Remember to follow us on Twitter at hashtag CDIFF2020. We look forward to meeting you in November. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to C. diff spores and more if you have a question please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org now back to our program here again is your host nancy Kerala. 
Welcome back to the program, and we thank you for joining us today. We are discussing sequencing the gut flora before C. diff therapy with our special guest, Dr. Sabine Hazen. And we are so glad that Dr. Hazen is joining us today. And welcome back to the program. Thank you. You're welcome. And Dr. Hazen, uh, if you won't mind uh, discussing, this is your very favorite topic also, is can you explain to us the microbiome and what does it do? So the microbiome is uh, trillions of bacteria, viruses, and fungi that live in our gut. And they all live in symbiosis together until something happens that creates a dysbiosis, and by dysbiosis means an imbalance and overgrowth of one bad guy versus a good guy, and uh, creates disease. And that's basically what the microbiome is all about. It's uh, understanding at the microscopic level these bugs that control our lives, control our existence, make us happy, make us sad, make us uh, healthy, make us unhealthy, Uh, make us uh, remember things, make us forget things. So it's all about the balance of the microbiome. It's a whole little universe inside inside our gut that is basically in balance doing its own thing. Every group of bacteria has a job, much like the universe, right? So the universe, everybody on the planet has a job and a purpose, right? And some do carpentry, some do plumbing, some everybody has a job, right? In the microbiome space, every group of bacteria has a job. And so we're trying to tap into, well, what is the job of these groups of bacteria? Because what we've noticed from fecal transplant is if you transplant a donor who is happy to a donor to a recipient who is depressed, the depressed person becomes happy. So obviously something in the microbiome made that person go from, hap- from depressed to happy because he, we just changed his microbiome to um, an, a balanced microbiome environment. So that's basically what the microbiome is, which is amazing because it allows us as human beings to transcend into the microscopic world, into what we don't see. And, and focus on that as being a potential for a cure for so many diseases. So imagine if Parkinson's was just a bacteria that was altered or out of whack. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could just give the bacteria that you could reestablish the balance in the gut? So it's really making us look into what we don't see and trying to find answers in that invisible world because we tend to think we're in control of our lives and we as human beings feel that we are the, you know, superior being that is in control. However, when you look at these microbes and how, um, you know, one nanogram of bacteria can recreate 300 people. I mean, it's unbelievable how at the microscopic level, life is is going on and at a different level. How one little virus, like a coronavirus, can kill a human being. And, you know, it's all in the microbiome. It's all about, you know, do you have the balance in your own gut to fight 
a virus that comes in and takes over your body. So the microbiome is really the basis that we need to understand to um, move forward with understanding life, really. And, you know, when I was five years old, I asked, I'm a huge uh, believer of God, and I asked God, um, where do we come from after, where do we go after we die? That's what I, that's my whole purpose in life, is understanding the process of life. And, you know, looking at my life and my path of how I got to here, owning a genetic lab, um, you know, I could say God has listened to me in a way because, you know, he's showing me the path of, of this microbiome world that is so complex and, and we're, at the bo- we're at the beginning. I know everybody is trying to push the microbiome and push these probiotics and push, you know, this probiotics helps for losing weight and this probiotic helps, but the reality is we're at the beginning. We're, we're so far from understanding what pill, what bacteria. You know, it's trillions of bacteria. They're all interworking together. They're all, um, if one is, is down, another one goes up. It's, it's a domino effect. If you kill one, then another one gets killed. I always explain it as a transmission of a car. So when you look at a transmission of a car and, you, and the transmission is broken, it's because, and you open the transmission, it's actually 880 little pieces. I don't think people understand that. So a whole transmission that we look at in the car, when you break it down, it's 880 pieces. If one of those little pieces is broken, your whole transmission is broken. Now you could fix that little piece in the transmission but then the problem is you're going to break another piece and another piece and another piece. And then eventually you're, you're, you're never going to have the right transmission. Now, what is the solution there is to replace with a new transmission. Now, are you going to take a transmission from a Honda and put it in a Mercedes? No, it's not compatible. So that's my way of thinking of the microbiome. That's my way of thinking of fecal transplant. That's how I use my methods. That's why I opened a genetic lab to understand what I'm doing. But, you know, we're at mile one of 300,000 probably. And, you know, we need to, to understand it uh, way better. We need to also put the funds into the research, into this research, because, you know, unfortunately, uh, without funds, we cannot do research. So, it's, and, and that's the challenge because this is a research that's individualized research and unfortunately there's no funding for individualized research because there's no product that you're selling because you're not selling one pill to everybody. You're selling an individual recipe, right, which is how does a company, a pharmaceutical company, make money from. It's difficult to, you know, convince venture capitalists to raise funds, et cetera, for the, in the world of the microbiome. So, you know, until we, you know, see more data, et cetera, we're, we need to understand what's going on in there. Okay. Thank you so much, doctor. And if, at this time, if you wouldn't mind introducing Progenobiome to our audience, we'd really appreciate that. So Progenobiome was created, it's, uh, you know, I believe that uh, humans have genetics that they're born, that they acquired from family members but they also acquired 
a microbiome from their family members. So it's basically progena is from progeny. So it's your DNA, your progeny, and the biome is really the bacteria. So it, that is in your environment, in your family members, etc. So it's really understanding the microbiome in the family um, situation to understand what's going on in that family. So uh, Progenobiome is a company that was kind of um, offset looking, you know, the, thank God for the technology um, that allows us to sequence these trillions of bacteria and, and understand. We didn't have that technology, you know, 5, 10 years, 20 years ago at the level that we have it now. You know, I can tell you what you ate for yesterday in your microbiome um, analysis. So it's pretty amazing that we have this technology that looks at the species of the gut, and it's really doing forensics of the gut. That's how I like to explain it. But it is a research because we cannot say, oh, well, this is, um, this is a fact. You have autism because you have this much bacteria. We can only say this is what we've seen with other kids because, especially in autism, we've done a lot of families of kids with autism, and we feel like we're starting to get a better understanding, especially as we start. We, um, I got approved to do fecal transplant on one kid with autism. So as we see that kid improving and then we bring in other kids, hopefully, you know, improves. Um, and as we bring in more kids, I think that might change the way we look at autism and hopefully, you know, get a fix on that horrible disease, which is affecting one in 53 children. So Progenobiome was basically created to understand the microbiome. Uh, and who better to understand that than the physicians that are doing fecal transplant to tap into that. So we actually um, uh, opened it for the physicians as a research lab, as a research to help physicians, but also not only help physicians, but help pharmaceutical companies by saying, let us help you fine-tune your product. Maybe you're giving too much of, um, of an antibiotic. Maybe you need to, you know, uh, offset it. So, you know, we help pharmaceutical companies with developing assays. We help doctors try to understand their patients better. That's really the role of Progenobiome. It's not a consumer lab because we're not there yet. Any consumer lab that's selling you an analysis of your lab is just selling you garbage because, in my opinion, we're not, we don't have those values. And, um, you know, it, it's really putting patients to, to see something and understand something that may not be real for them. So, you know, we created it with the right intent of being over, overlooked by Department of Health being a research lab, working with the FDA, working with the NIST, working with the authorities, because we feel like we need a lot of heads. We need a lot of people. We're trying to assemble all those labs that are doing sequencing and microbiome work. We're trying to get them on our panel to say, let's look at this together, because this is not a one-woman show. This is not a hundred people show. This is, you know, thousands of people. So we need to really collaborate together. We need to stop thinking that, you know, who's getting the data out there. It doesn't really matter as long as the data is there and can help these kids that are suffering and help, you know, people with Parkinson's, help people with MS. 
we're all seeing miracles that we see uh, with fecal transplant. We need to get to the next level of understanding, and we don't have the time to wait 20 years, etc. And uh, you know, Dr. Feingold is the guy who wrote the doctor who wrote anaerobic bacteria, um, the book, and he gave me all his work. But he died at 97, not being acknowledged for all his work, but he was still so far from being done. Um, and he, he did a huge, huge work on anaerobic bacteria and getting us started, but we need to continue his, his work. We need to continue his legacy, and, and it's not one person. It's 100, 1,000, 2,000 people together, and it's the world together because the microbiome is different in everyone, in every culture, every places around the world. We cannot think that one pill fits everyone the same. We're all different. We all have different fingerprints. So that's basically the reason for Progenobiome. It's really a, a collaboration of the world bringing it together. And, you know, maybe through research, you know, the world will come to peace together to, to understand life. And if I'm the, the person that started all that through Progenobiome, then be it. Then that's, that's a great mission, and that's kind of like my midlife crisis. It's a wonderful mission, Dr. Hazine, and we thank you so much for sharing everything and um, especially how to collaborate together. Uh, and as you say, the fingerprint is yours to be uh, researched. And also, um, Progena Biome is an asset to the microbiome community. So we thank you very much for sharing that information. Right now, we're going to break for a commercial. And when we return, Dr. Hazen will continue discussing sequencing the gut flora before C. diff therapy. Thank you. Um, we'll be right back after these messages. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Join us on November 12th and 13th for the 8th Annual International C. diff Conference and Health Expo taking place at the Hilton Boston Logan Airport Hotel in Boston, Massachusetts. To view the conference details and register online, visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call the main office at 727-205-3922. Again, that's cdifffoundation.org or you can give us a call at 727-205-3922. 3922. Remember to follow us on Twitter at hashtag CDIFF2020. We look forward to meeting you in November. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean, dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are 
listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and thank you so much for joining us today. We are here with our special guest, Dr. Sabine Hazen, and Dr. Hazen has been discussing sequencing the gut flora before C. diff therapy, amongst other fantastic topics of interest in the microbiome and the C. diff community. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Hazen. Thank you. You're welcome. And right now, um, we are in our last uh, segment of the program. And would you um, mind providing some information about the progenobiome um, and the research that you are doing at this time? So we're basically conducting, we have 33 studies, which can be found in clinicaltrials.gov, where we're looking at the role of the microbiome in 33 diseases. So autism, Crohn's, chronic UTI, ME-CFS, Alzheimer's, psoriasis, skin cancer, gout, acne, IBS, high cholesterol, Parkinson's, MS, UC, constipation, celiac sprue, Lyme disease, obesity, C. diff, obviously, ALS, obsessive compulsive disorder, metastatic mesothelioma, lupus, epidermolysis bullosa, diabetes, depression, migraine, bipolar disorder, anxiety, rheumatoid arthritis, fatty liver, and colon cancer. So these are basically the the diseases that we feel could have, um, where the gut microbiome uh, could play a role um, in, and so we're doing all these studies. Um, the the way to reach us is basically clinicaltrials.gov and type in progenobiome, P-R-O-G-E-N-A, biome, B-I-O-M-E. Um, how people can reach us is really through progenobiome.com. There's a uh, contact us uh, on the website. There's actually also some good articles that I wrote on the microbiome and disease, microbiome and uh, Alzheimer's, autism, microbiome and obesity, the probiotics, where are we now? And then there's a great article on globalization and the microbiome. So, you know, some good information on the website. So, www.progenobiome.com. Um, the other important thing is actually we, because of my intent to gather everyone together to work together and collaborate together. We actually set up a meeting in Malibu called the Malibu Microbiome Meeting. So for all the doctors, the naturopaths, the nurses, the healthcare professionals that want to understand about the microbiome, they're welcome to join. Also, uh, people that have a real interest in a lot of these diseases are welcome to join. It's uh, com. Dr. Tom Barodi, who is the pioneer of fecal transplant, is going to be speaking, coming from Australia. Dr. Feyman Zhang, who is the a physician uh, from China, Nanjiang Hospital, who did 4,000 fecal transplants on ulcerative colitis is going to be there speaking. Dr. Neil Stolman from UCSF, one of the, represent, uh, the, one of the heads of the microbiome uh, conferences, Dr. Howard Young from NIH is going to be speaking. Paul Fjordstad, who you know, our fearless leader in C. diff from Yale. Alex Kurotz from University of Minnesota, who started the fecal bank. Um, uh, Ying Hong Wang from MD Anderson is going to be speaking on fecal transplant and cancer. Uh, Mason Nuredin from uh, Cedar sinai is going to be speaking on fecal transplant and obesity and metabolic disorders. Sahil Khanna from Mayo Clinic is going to be speaking about chronic UTI. 
And we have Dr. Scott Jackson from the NIST who's going to be talking about where are we in the microbiome research. And Jessica Allegretti from Harvard who's done some amazing studies on uh, fecal transplant in uh, inflammatory bowel disease. And, of course, Dr. James Adams, who's going to be speaking about his study on autism and fecal transplant. So it's an amazing meeting, Malibu Microbiome meeting on March 28th. I recommend everybody to tell people about it. We're probably going to have a link so that people can just uh, click in and um, and uh, get in. One, the two organizers of the meeting were Dr. Neil Stallman and Dr. Colleen Kelly. Dr. Colleen Kelly is also... Uh, one of the pioneers of fecal transplant. She actually did some amazing publications on fecal transplant, but more importantly showed uh, some pictures in uh, the Gastro Journal about uh, alopecia areata, which is uh, two patients that were bald, and after fecal transplant actually regained hair. So there's some amazing data coming out of fecal transplant. It's not reaching the media fast enough or the publications fast enough, probably because it's still brand new. And like I said, with my example of the Alzheimer's uh, case, you know, it's getting criticized because nobody has seen that before. And so they're very weary about putting something that is so groundbreaking and, you know, also doesn't have so much reproducibility because why is it working with one patient and not working on another patient? Those are the questions and those are the things we need to answer with more research, more interest, but we need to start. I mean, uh, we don't have all the answers, but we definitely need to start uh, looking at all this and, and being objective and being uh, ethical and being thorough. Those are the things that make research and make science advance, really. Exactly. And Dr. Hazen, we thank you so much for the information and for hosting this fantastic microbiome meeting that's coming up in March. We wish you the very best with that. Um, and you. also, Dr. Hazen will be joining us November 13th, 12th and 13th in uh, Boston. And we'll be also presenting information about the microbiome. And we thank you so much, Dr. Hazen, for being with us today. My pleasure. It's uh, honestly, thank you for giving me a stage to kind of speak on this. I think uh, we need the word out uh, more than anything, and we need to pay attention to these doctors that are, you know, spearheading the research on fecal transplant because really they're they're doing it. Um, they're, this whole meeting was not sponsored. It was really a, a bunch of doctors that decided to all come together. They're not paid. Um, you know, they're, they're really the heroes of healthcare, and there's so many heroes out there, um, doctors that are trying to help and, and trying to change diseases, and, 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 and not only doctors, but healthcare professionals. So we just need to work all together and, and, and find answers to, uh, to help the, the patients, really and the people that are suffering. Because without health, we have nothing. That is the number one thing that a person needs, it's health. You don't need a, a big house, you don't need so much, you don't need money, but you need your health. Without health, you have nothing. You can't even go to work to make money if you have no health. So we really need to help those that are unfortunate and have no health. Exactly, and we can say our our, our tagline and our motto is none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. 
And it's something that you have been saying through the whole episode. And we all appreciate that. And thank you so much again. And right now uh, we are going to end today's episode. We send out our get well wishes to all the patients being treated and recovering from a C. difficile infection and the many wellness training illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Corrala, with our reminder that none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health, continued healing, and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We'll be right back.